0: Amen. This morning, our scripture comes from 1 Chronicles 15 and 16, and we're going to be reading about David and how David worships. So I ask that uh, you guys uh, open your hearts to learn about how David would worship and and maybe learn a few few things like I have from reading this passage about how I uh, can worship the Lord. So the scriptures say, After David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, No one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. David assembled all Israel in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to the place he had prepared for it. So David and the elders of Israel and the the commanders of the units of a thousand went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. Because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, seven bulls and seven rams were sacrificed. Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who were carrying the Ark. And as were the musicians and the Kenaniah who was in charge of the singing of the choirs. David also wore a linen ephod. So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouts. With the sounding of ram's horns and trumpets and of cymbals and the playing of lyres and harps. As the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window and when she saw how King David was dancing and celebrated, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of God and set it aside inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. That day, David first appointed Asaph and his associates to give praise to the Lord in this manner. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done sing to him sing praise to him tell of all his wonderful acts glory in his holy name let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice look the Lord look to the Lord in his strength seek his face always remember the wonders he has done his miracles and the judgments he pronounced You, his servants, the descendants of Israel, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob, sing to the Lord, all of the earth, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord who the glory do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing. Let them sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. These are the words of the Lord. Let us uh, prepare our hearts in prayer. God, we know that there are so many things to be grateful for because of you. God, and we know that a grateful heart can change so many things in this world. So today, help us to learn to fully worship you with all of who we are. Transform our hearts, transform our souls, transform them into grateful hearts. God, we're grateful for this family of faith and for this beautiful baptism of of welcoming another child into this family. God, we're grateful for what you have blessed us with, with the building, with all these ministries, with your work being played out through them. And God, like in our memory verse that we learned today, we're grateful for your son who was sent to die for us, to give us freedom, to give us eternal life. And we're grateful for you and for your unending love for us. As David did in these scriptures, help us to proclaim your name above all the nations. Help us to sing it from the rooftops. Help us to do whatever we can to put your name above any other name. Transform us so that's all we seek to do. Give us grateful hearts. God, and we ask that we can worship you, that we can be undignified for you like David was here. As Pastor Mike comes up to preach your word, we ask that you be with him, that you lay your hands on him and let his words be yours. Let no outside thoughts no outside things come into his mind so he can preach the good news that is the gospel. God, lift him up, and we as a congregation and we as the people of Marian Methodist pray for him as well. We love you, God, and we cherish you, and we do all things in your name. Amen.
1: couple of prefatory thoughts before we go right into uh, the interpretation of the scripture that Kelsey uh, just read and that you read along with her. First, if you're new to Marion Methodist, glad you're here. You already caught our vibe. We tend not to cancel church. Twenty-three years I've had to cancel worship one time and I had to cancel it because the police department of Marion said I had to. So um, we tend to think that you're pretty bright and if it's unsafe or not right for you to come, don't come, and in this generation, this is not to be your every week thing, but if you can't come someday because of illness or because of snow, uh, uh, make friends with us on Facebook and just watch our live stream, uh, because there you'll get everything that we get here except the fellowship, Uh, so we'd encourage you uh, to join us there. Um, This morning, as you go out, um, you'll be offered, or maybe you grab them on the way in, Uh, one of the devotional booklets. 31 of you have written devotionals for every day starting tomorrow. Uh, One of our college students, Tyler Hungate, wrote the first one. And there's a daily devotion uh, for for every day of Advent. And what's uh, exciting to us about this is not only did no one on the staff write a devotion, it's all um, you in the pews writing your testimonies and wonderful things uh, briefly. They're all very brief, uh, easily consumable in a day. Uh, It also uh, points us toward where we're going in this whole ministry of Advent where we'll be reading the scripture that's going to be preached that following Sunday. So we hope you'll grab one. Uh, There's plenty uh, out there as you leave uh, the worship services today. Next week, we do start the holy season of Advent. So when you come in, it'll look like a lot of Christmas in here. So, the scripture that Kelsey read a few moments ago has some context uh, to it. Looks like my computer's rebooting. Do I get pictures? Not pictures yet? All right. So, I want to give you context. Have any of you heard of the Ark of the Covenant? Yeah, okay. It doesn't go with Raiders of the Lost Ark, it was actually the Ark of the Covenant before it got lost. Okay, And the Ark of the Covenant was really important to to Israel. It's more than a movie theme. It's like really essential to their life as a community of faith. The Ark of the Covenant reminds us of the vital, or reminded them anyway, of the vital importance of thankfulness. Hey, there it is. And God commanded Moses to build it. And place it in the house of the tabernacle. He he gave specific instructions of what the ark was to look like. and, And that's, according to an artist's rendition, what it looked like. A couple of cherubim with their wings expanded. Those are angels, by the way, scary angels, protecting that which is in the ark. And there were holy contents in this ark. Three things. Aaron's rod, you know, the shepherd's staff. Uh, the shepherd staff that created and performed many miracles uh, and did lots of things in the book of Exodus. So there's that. There's the tablets of, that God wrote with his own finger of the Ten Commandments. And there's a gold jar filled with manna. Manna was the stuff that came down from heaven every day during the 40 years that Israel was in the wilderness and the Israelites baked it into kind of a bread and, and thereby uh, were able to be sustained. So they have these holy contents and they have the power of the holy. Wherever the ark was, it was believed that there was the presence of God in and around this incredible piece of of golden furniture because when, when the Israelites would carry it out in front of them when they went to battle, their foes would be defeated. So, of course, now this is where it comes back to the movie, everybody wanted it. Everybody wanted that ark. So, of course, the Philistines came and took it from the Israelites, defeated them in battle, and, and, and because they thought if they had it, they would everything it was. See, this is the center of the community. This is the center of, of worship during the time of Moses and Jacob and Joshua. Everything they had and everything they were would and everything they'd become came from God. So, so the appropriate response. To the provision of past, present, and whatever is coming to them in the future, was Thanksgiving. And the ark reminds them and us that the focus of life and worship should be God, not us. But like I said, this thing's hard to hold on to. Everybody wanted it. The Philistines took it. And as a matter of fact, if you read the Old Testament story, and I do, and some of you have read it a lot, some of you have taken disciples, the ark and where it is kind of becomes like a where's Waldo kind of deal. It's over here and it's over there. But everywhere it went, if it wasn't in Israelites' hands, it caused problems. It made them sick. It made things go bad for them. So so eventually, as the Israelites relentlessly looked for it, they looked for it here. They battled these for them. But when they found it, they decided to bring it home. And David is going to bring it home and put it in Jerusalem where it's supposed to be in a tent that was made just for us. So they put together this parade. And they're bringing the ark up the hill towards Jerusalem, but it, but it kind of jostles in the cow in, in, in the in the trailer and and in, in, in the wagon that it's in. And Uzzah reaches for it, and when he touches it, God strikes him dead. That ruins a parade every time. That like stop that parade. And so they kind, of put the, they kind of put the ark such as it was kind of off on the side and, and kind of, not a garage, but kind of, they kept it there for a few months. Well, David and the rest of them got, I mean, because you know, they could only interpret that when it got jostled in the cart that, that Uzzah didn't do the natural thing, something falling off the cart, that they believed that maybe he was trying to help God and God said to him immediately, I don't really need your help, but you need mine. So a few months later, David puts together another parade to take the ark, the rest away, into Jerusalem, into the tent that he had built specifically for the ark. Now, on this second attempt, there's this exciting procession, and it crests the hill up into Jerusalem, and David is overwhelmed, the king, he's the king. David is overwhelmed with thanksgiving. He, he starts exuberantly worship, and worship is based on real thanksgiving, So in the thanksgiving of his heart that's just spewing out of him, he starts to worship. And as we look, and as you saw what Kelsey read, the worship of King David had four components that are really valuable for us to embrace and influence our thanksgiving. Because you know, thanksgiving's not done. We had a day in America, but thanksgiving for the Christian is supposed to be consistent and persistent. So I'm going to give you four things that David did in worship. First, thankful people dance. Raise your hand if you're done with this sermon now. Chickens. Some of you say dance. If he starts dancing up there, I'm leaving right now. Maybe you should, but I wouldn't. See, dancing is exuberant. It's it's happy. It's the expression of of a joy-filled heart. You know what? We might say, we don't like dancing, but how many of you love it when your, when your team does an end zone dance, right? My little grandson Titus was here for several days this week. And Tito doesn't know how to play football, but he does know touchdown. And he's got his own little end zone dance. He takes the ball, spins it on his end, on its end, and then he goes, touchdown. He's dancing. We, we love the end zone dance. We like a lot of different kinds of dancing. But I know that some of you came here and are so conservative. You're like, I don't care what that boy says. I ain't dancing. <laughs> I understand that. I've been to junior high dances where the boys stand on one side and the girls stand on the other side texting each other saying, I hope Johnny asked me to dance. He's right over there. Go ask him. We're kind of scared to dance because... It means we lose our inhibitions. But I'm here to tell you that David danced because he focused on the exuberant Thanksgiving and how grateful he was to God, not the awkward feelings or abilities. Hey, you know, in this group, first group didn't necessarily get this, but some of you do dance like Elaine Bennis, right? Okay, all right. Some of you are from the 90s. I get it, all right. But when we focus on ourselves, we miss the point of the dance, focus is on God. When we dance, we focus on God, not our inhibitions. I remember going to, Teresa and I went to a wedding a few years ago. It was in Chicago. It was one of, one of our members here that got married. And we were able to go and go and, uh, preside at the wedding. And afterward, a small wedding, maybe 80, 90 of us. Afterwards, some of the people, some of you here right now, went into the reception hall. And we ate this beautiful meal. And then we danced. And I'm not talking we danced a little bit. We danced. Dance. I mean, it was like ninety degrees out, and it was like that much in the reception hall too. And I mean, we sweat and dance, happy. But it was just a pure out. And anybody will tell you, I am. God bless y'all. I love going to your receptions and stuff like that. But when the second dance starts at a wedding reception, you know what I'm saying? But this thing, we threw down and danced. I mean, we danced because I feel that way, and I love wedding dances because it's just pure out happiness. There's old Jim, Uncle Jim, he dances. He's like, man, I didn't even know Uncle Jim danced like that. And he needs to suck down a whole bottle of, of Tylenol the next day, but it was worth it, you know, because it's exuberant. It's happy. It's so much fun. But when we dance, sometimes it causes problems because, man, King David starts dancing. He loses his in inhibition. He's the king. He's running around in an ephod, which is not what you think. Look it up on Google. But there's this complete thankfulness and happiness in his soul. And what does his wife do? Man, this exuberant dancing draws (coughs) some (coughs) some poor reviews. His wife sees him. And according to the Bible, she hated him for it. She saw the king dancing and she despised him. That is not loving. She despised him for his dance. But I got to tell you this, God was thrilled at David's dance. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know if the guy was a good dancer. I don't even know if he had any rhythm. But God was thrilled at his dance because David's dance was authentic. It was genuine. It was pure exuberance for what God had given him. And he's given thanks, and so he dances. Let your heart dance. You might not get up here. You might not run around here with streamers. But let your dance, let your heart dance with happy, exuberant, joy filled thankfulness for what God has and is and shall do for you and yours. Thankful people dance. Secondly, thankful people sacrifice. They give things. See, sacrifice is an act of adoration. and thankfulness, we give away some of, some of what was or is very important to us. We, we give uh, sacrificially our time, our treasure, our talents so that God's kingdom might be blessed. And we might, as we dedicate those things to him, that God's kingdom might grow, you know, right here in our metro area. Sacrifice is important because it puts God first. It puts God in front of our stuff. And sacrifice puts, put, puts our focus on God, not on our stuff. And, and David's offering, and, and you see it, actually I'm doing this out of order because he offered first and danced second. David's offering it, it, it is recognize this simple fact that humanity is not self-creating and not self-sustaining. And when we give offerings, we recognize the same thing, that we didn't create humanity by ourselves nor are we self-sustaining. Our stuff comes and goes. Some of you adults, think of how many cars you've had. They come and go. Some of you, think of how many places you've lived. Our stuff comes and goes. Think of how many outfits you've worn in your life. You don't even have your first favorite outfit anymore. It came and went. But our God comes and stays. Our God is eternal. He never goes. He was here before we got here, and he's staying after we leave. He is the eternal constant. And so we should sacrifice and give thanks to him through our sacrifices. Third, thankful people sing. I love worshiping God. I love singing. I'm not the best singer in here. That is a fact. And David doesn't really ask the people of Israel to sing. He commands them to sing. He says, sing to the Lord, all you people. Sing and don't hold back. Singing is the highest expression of human worship if we don't do it in spirit and truth. I came here from a different church up in north central Iowa and we had a Saturday night service. And our Saturday night service was really fun. It would, you know, it brought 60 people, 70 people on the, for the most part. And I had a high school pianist And usually a high school or one adult that would lead the singing, okay? In the back row, even though we didn't need to sit in the back row of that service, every week where there was a guy named Melvin, and I love Melvin, good old farmer, great guy, do anything you wanted to him. But I remember one day I walked in, middle of the fall, he says, uh, what are you going to do, what are you going to talk about today, pastor, after the time killing part of the service? I'm like, time-killing part of the service? What are you talking about? And his wife says to me, Donna says to me, she says, he hates the singing. I'm here to tell you, singing is not the time-killing part of the service. Not just because I love musicians, but I do. But that's the time when we can put a melody to what's in our hearts. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Our hearts need a melody. Our hearts need a melody to seek out our thanks, sing out our thanksgivings. Our, our deepest needs, our deepest expressions of joy need a melody. Our most intimate words, let me tell you, this is true. Our most intimate need, words need a melody. And, and I can tell you why. Back to weddings. How many times have you been at a wedding where they said, before they played a song, now this is their song? Some of you even have a song when it comes on the radio or when it comes up on your, your shuffle, you say, this is our song. Because that song puts a melody to what your intimate words are for your spouse, for your loved one. Some of you have a song for your children. And lovers of God need the same thing. We need a song. We need our song that's between us and God. And the thankful sing. Now, now those of you that at the beginning when I said, okay, dance, okay, we can put up with that. But sing, I'm not going to sing because I'm no good at singing. I know. I'm up here. Understand this: the command of God does not say sing well. Some of you do sound like a cat that's getting smashed in a gate. I know it. Okay, we hear you, and I just think that it's great that your ears don't hear what your heart says, right? But what God hears is what your heart says. The auditory so- auditory sounds—they're just part of the blessing. Because we get to hear in concert with each other singing how much praise you have in your heart that you want to sing it out. Because David says sing. He doesn't say sing perfection, per- perfectly. He doesn't say sing as well as Simon or sing as well as Jamie or sing as well as Madison or sing as well as Lawrence. He simply says sing. Sing to the Lord, all you people. Because the more we sing of God, the more we focus on God, And not our circumstances, trials, temptations, cares, worries, and concerns. The more we sing and talk of God, the less we think of ourselves and talk about other people. Thankful people sing. So I encourage you to sing. And number four, thankful people seek God. Seeking God is more than just talking about God. Our focus and effort are given to finding God. I, 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 a long time ago, in the 80s, back in the '90s, before Teresa and I were married, she lived in Mount Pleasant, Iowa. I lived in Denver, Colorado. And some weekends we were fortunate enough that Amtrak would have a, a cheap ticket and she could jump on the train right outside her office, right after work, and could be in Denver first thing in the morning. And I would go down there to wait for her at the train station. And I will tell you, when I was waiting for her, I didn't just stand up against a post and say, Well, I hope that girl's along sometime soon. No way, I hadn't seen her for a couple months. I wouldn't have cared if the Denver Broncos were in front of me. I'm five foot nine and I was fighting my way through the crowd to find that little Latina babe. All right? <laughs> I'm like pushing everybody out of the side. I'm like, I'm sorry, Grandma, sorry, too bad. I'm you know, I was seeking her like a missile, you know. And that's how we're supposed to seek God. Not treating others like obstacles, but there are obstacles in front of us all the time. But thankful people pursue God. They look for God. They, they, they find their way. Really hard work to get to God. And the question is, as we come through this Thanksgiving weekend, is are you in pursuit of the Lord? Are you looking for him? Seeking God is seeking the source and the power and peace for our daily living. Verse 11 in what Kelsey read says, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. This is more than just hoping for the best. There is strength, power, and peace for you in your life in the presence of God with a thankful heart. Seek this. Seek that. Thankful people give thanks, right? That's what we do. And Just like we need tangible moments, like putting a lot of water on little Tate, we need the tangible symbols of baptism. We also need tangible symbols sometimes in our worship where we, we take the bread in our own hands and we, we dip it in the cup and taste those things. We need tangible moments in, in, in worship at times, not just to think about Thanksgiving, but we need moments where we can really offer it to God. So today we're going to offer you a breadless, juiceless communion. We're, we're going to take it just like we had the bread and juice down here. I'm making you an invitation to come forward, just like we do at communion from the front to the back, to to, to bring with you, we'll have ushers down here in a minute, to bring your offerings with you, to, to bring your yellow cards. And, and I know that a lot of you received uh, pledge cards in the mail this week. So, so if you've pledged this year, and if you don't know what that is, there's envelopes at the Welcome Center. And if you have like, wow, well, I really love this church, I might want to consider giving something to it. Grab one of these. But, you know, if, you, if you're new here, don't feel like you're compelled or that you have to do this. But we want to give you an offering to come forward. Most importantly, what I'm encouraging you to do is bring your thankful heart. And take time. We've scheduled this today so we'll have time. We're not going to do anything other than this and close with prayer. We don't have an ark that's got the Ten Commandments in it. But we have a broader, more encompassing symbol today. We have the cross of Jesus Christ. We have the the cross of Jesus Christ that shows us the power of God over all things seen and unseen. The power of God that permeates all of creation, past, present, and future. This is the center of our community. Just as the ark was the center of the Israelites community. The center of our community is for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that who would ever believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's your memory verse this month. That's the center of our human community. So it's time to stop and give thanks to God. I'm not going to over talk it. That's what we do as preachers sometimes. But I do want you to consider this. As you come forward from the front to the back, And kneel down here as we continue to baptize this rail of prayer. I want you to stop and just praise God for who he is. Consider why who God is are you thankful. And what is God doing that makes you thankful we encourage you to, to get up here and give God thanks, to let your heart dance, to, to let your spirit just absolutely sacrifice anything that you are, to let your mind be overwhelmed with the joyous melodies of a life with God. If you break into song, I guarantee you somebody will sing with you. Let your intention be transformed to one of pursuit, one of seeking the living God in every single way. Let's not talk about it anymore. Let's do it. Breadless, juiceless communion. Come, take time to give thanks to God. Ushers, come on.